like a baby because I didn't know how to use the utensils. And last night we were having dinner at a wonderful restaurant here, and Reggie was unwinding, and um, <laughs> and I looked at all this silverware, and I was kind of over in the corner, and it, it was, and we had some laughter about whether Reggie had taken some. By the way, I guess I got to get honest. <laughs> there was some question about. They said something about metal detectors on the way out. So, and and we all laughed about that. But you see, that was a traumatic moment in my recovery. That first conference. I also didn't understand about turning things over. <laughs> and that was when my sponsor said to me, well, you may as well, because once you've really taken the third step, the rest of your life isn't any of your damn business. <laughs> I was like, whoa. What he was trying to say is if I've really given things over to my higher power, then the only thing that's my business is stepping forward and doing what comes next. People, places, and things are no longer any of my business. They're in God's hands. Well. I'd like to say to you that I do that very well, but on the way up here, my spouse and I had a conversation about that, and <laughs> I was reminded again that I don't do a very good job of that, because the first thing I said is, when we get by the hotel, we ought to call home and leave the number with our son. <laughs> and you know, every time that kind of thing happens, I'm reminded that our son is very capable of taking care of himself, he's off with some friends for the weekend, probably cares less about what mom and dad are up to right now, really, because he's... He's comfortable in, with who he is, and he's a, he's a sobriety gift, you see. He wasn't a part of my world when I got here. But the fourth step was talked about, and I had a struggle with that because I kept getting sick every time I tried to do it. About this time, my sponsor had taken me to the Literacy Council, taught me about getting, you know, C-spot run, and I have to tell you, one of my, one of my uh, young women that I sponsor brought me some notepads the other day, they know I love, I can't live without yellow stickies, you know. That's my new life. I have to have everything on yellow stickies. So she brought me this little pad of papers, and it said life was much simpler when it was just Jack, Jane, and Spot. <laughs> I love it. They keep me humble, you know. And uh, so I began to try, try to do a fourth step. Well, about that time, a woman in the program from Al-Anon said, there's going to be a kind of get-together, she called it, a get-together at one of the uh, places north, and we'd like you to go with us. And I was open, and I said, okay. My sponsor said, you go wherever they... See, there were only a couple meetings in our town, and if you wanted another meeting, you had to go like 60 miles. And so at that point, I was pretty eager to get whatever I could get, and it was also going to be a bit refreshing to be with women. So we got there, and it was an Al-Anon retreat. <laughs> and um, they told me that there was this little sign-up sheet when you went in, and it said, if you want to talk to somebody about the fourth and fifth step, just put your name on this list and just take some in, things in with you like you're concerned about, and they'll talk to you about it. Well, they manipulated me into, into writing down a few things to take in to talk to this person. And when I got in there, there was a priest, and he was a small kind of pixie-like priest who was sitting behind a large desk, and he asked me a few questions, and I started to respond. And three and a half hours later, I left with a passage that he gave me from the Bible, which I had never, ever seen or heard of. And it was something about Mary Magdalene. And he reminded me that uh, all of us have the power of forgiveness, which was a whole lesson for me I knew nothing about until that day. And sometime later, I went to a workshop um, in northern Iowa, where I'm from, and um, he was presenting, and his, the priest was Father Martin. Um, God has worked wonders in my life, absolute miracles, and put people in my life that I can't believe. You know, why me? I'm, I'm always saying, why would... The, these people cross my life. And then 
After that, I came back and uh, determined to do a better fourth of step, understanding now what it was about, that it was about cleaning house, that it, until I could do that and get honest, I probably couldn't move forward. And it, I would like to say that it took a long time. It really did. Um, it would be great to say I sat down over one weekend and wrote my fourth and fifth step. But when I understood that I didn't have to put all these nameless faces on my fourth step, that all I had to do was talk about the exact nature of the wrong and that I could put down those things, and that was about my personal character defects. And he showed me the four phases of the fourth step. One is putting down my resentments, and the next is looking at them and removing everybody else from there and praying for them. And the next is taking a look at my fears. And finally, sex. Well, you know, sex consumed my life before. You know, I, I believe that was the only way I had any value. And so it took a while for me to understand that on page 69, only a drunk would put the stuff about sex on 69 so that we'd find it, you know, because that's the way that um, we probably will get through this because it isn't about sex at all. And it took absolutely taking that inventory and step by step with my sponsor through each and every piece of that, that I got to the point where I realized what that's about is my value system, and I had none. You see, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous with no values. And at that time, God, in all his wonder, sent a woman into our program. And I latched onto her like a little leech. And I was determined this woman was going to be my sponsor, and I could now take my fifth step and, you know, get rid of all this stuff. And I went to her house to take my fifth step, and she was telling me what a bad day she was having and how she was wanting to drink, and would I go with her? <laughs> and I don't know, because, you know, I believe in, I say sometimes odd or God, you know, is it fate or is it, you know, something else? That's still a big question, and I don't care anymore. But the bottom line was that that day I said something I don't know where it came from. Just out of my mouth, it pops. said, I think I'll go to the club. <laughs> it seems simple today as I look back. It seems like a simple comment because I went to the club all the time. I was always running there when I didn't know what to do. You know, I ran to recovery. It's what I did. I didn't understand it for some time. So, you know, I, uh, any, if you all have access to a recovery club, I hope you use it because it saved my butt. But, you know, it was always the way I could run to safety, run to somebody. And I ran that day scared to death. And unfortunately, the person who I'd chosen as my sponsor used, got drunk, and I have not seen her back. And I pray for her every day. And I, and I share with people at the workshop last night, I always keep an empty chair close to me at meetings because I want to make sure that there's room when she gets back. And all those that haven't found us yet, because, see, I was one of those lost people. But then it came time to start moving on. Are we ready, entirely ready, to have my character defects removed? You bet your bippy I was. <laughs> I want to get zapped. Like, oh, good, I can be ready, and now they're gone. And I thought one morning I'd wake up and I'd be perfect. <laughs> I still think that. <laughs> but it hasn't happened. See, somebody, oh, you all done, have done wonders for me this weekend. I also have realized how negligent I am this very moment. It just occurred to me that I haven't even bothered to thank the committee for inviting me. And I am sorry about that, because that was the first and foremost thing that was on my mind. I also wanted to give you this, Colleen. And uh, thank you for being such a beautiful flower in my life. <laughs> um, I also want to say that, you know, a very special person taught me once a long time ago that it isn't about being sad that roses have thorns, but being grateful that thorns have roses. And I'm very grateful that you are one of the roses in my life. I also want to thank all of you that have spoke because you brought some things to me. And one of them was the 30-foot black velvet dressed female on the billboards <laughs> who did the um, black velvet. I thought if I drank enough of that, I would look like that. 
and I tried. Believe me, I tried. <laughs> and that just brought that back. I had a flash last night. It was like, whoa. Um, and obviously, as you can see, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. So I don't, some things are not meant to be, with or without booze. And I, you know, I had to learn that in my sixth and seventh step. That my character defects are probably going to be there. And it's my willingness, and that's the key, the willingness that I can bring to it to take a look at them that will help me find the humility to ask for relief from them. And usually when I do, God is so wonderful to me. My higher power has brought into my life so many people that help me with that. Because uh, my spouse and I, again, were discussing this thing about sponsorship, and he and I made, I critiqued his style. I just think that's my license, you know, it comes with the certificate. And he didn't believe it was. Um, so basically, part of that was, mind your own damn business, you know, <laughs> and I have trouble with that. So one of the joys of recovery has been for me that today I can take a look at myself with the help of other people. And my sponsor helps me do that, and my spouse helps me do that. And that kind of brings me to the amends, because when I got sober, they told me I was going to have to make a lot of amends, and I didn't want to do that. I just didn't. I didn't want to have to go out and face people. But, you know, it's been said this weekend about the desperation of recovery. And for me, I got to a point in my recovery where things were going better. I began to like me. I liked this way of life, and I loved all of you patting me on the back and telling me I was doing good and that you were proud of me and that you liked the things you saw and how happy you were with me and how much faith you had in my recovery. I liked all of that, but see, I want to tell you that I was balking at every step, that I didn't want to go any farther. I couldn't go any farther. First, I didn't understand about humility. I didn't know that was like just honestly asking for help with this. I, you know, I've always been a grandstander. I guess I always thought that I had to have, you know, all the big show. So on my first anniversary, and I've shared this with some of you, my sponsor brought in a big box with a potty, the bottom of a potty chair in it. And it was my first year anniversary, and it had a big bow on it and a, and a note that said, you're on it so much we thought we'd make you comfortable. <laughs> and uh, that was my pity pot. Because um, I had a problem in the beginning with ever believing that things were going to be okay. You know, I, I catastrophized everything. I love that word. I learned it not long ago. And, and what it really means for me is I pole vaulted mouse turds. Every time you turn around, I was making a big deal out of nothing. And so he was trying to help me, and, the, and other people were coming into our lives. And I was really grateful because things were moving along. And, and then I got, as I said, to this point where I knew that I knew that I knew that I wasn't going to go anywhere unless I could get honest, really honest about what had happened in my life and take care of making some amends. And it meant cleaning up the wreckage of my past. And I had done a lot of wreckage. One of the things I had done, along with many others, was that I had lived fraudulently off the funds of the state I was living in under the name of different people collecting age-dependent children and drinking on it long after my children had been taken away from me. And so I owed money to the state, and I had no idea how I was going to take care of this. But I also knew that I couldn't keep looking over my shoulder. I was, I didn't, I was scared of the phone ringing. I was still living in all that fear. And my sponsor said, you live in the fear, you'll be drunk again. You live in the solution, you'll be, you may be incarcerated, you may be unhappy, you'll be sober, but you'll be free. And so we took a look at the possibilities, and he asked me to write a letter to the governor explaining to him what I was trying to do. And I did that, and I got an audience with the governor, told me to come and talk to him, and when he came in, he threw a big folder on the table, and he said, you've been a busy lady. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I have. And he said, did you come prepared to go to jail? And I said, yes, I did, and I had. I had a clean change of underwear and a toothbrush and, and my big book. 
And he said, that's where you're going. And I swallowed and I panicked. I honestly had a panic attack. And after I quit shaking, he came over and he handed me a list, and on it were all the penal institutions in our state, starting with the county all the way up to the federal penitentiary. There was one in our state. He said, tomorrow morning you're to go in there, and you've got clearance at all of these, and you're to tell people what happened to you because of alcohol. I was sentenced to go and talk to people, and he sentenced me to that for five years, and that was my an, a door that opened, not just closed on my history, but opened to my life because talking to people and seeing people on the inside where I've been and making those acquaintances. And there's one man that I met in one of the prisons who was so desperate um, and so scared. And we sat down and talked just a little bit at one of the anniversaries that they had. And there was an old-timer. And I guess at this point I just want to also say um, thank you, God, for all those that have gone before me because he's no longer with us. But... His name was Tiny. He was a huge man. And, um, and he started the recovery group in one of the prisons. And as I went in, here, there was a man in there doing life. And he was so desperate. He wanted what we had. And he was so afraid he couldn't do it inside. He couldn't get the spirituality of the program inside. And I have to tell you, I didn't know about spirituality. You know, I'd heard about it at meetings. But listening to this man and his desperation... I began to start thinking about it very seriously, and about that time, things began to change for me. Well, I'd like to tell you that today the man is outside, has his own business, is doing amazing things in the recovery community back where we came from, and I know it's a direct result of having that kind of faith. Um, And he's been an inspiration to me. I I gained far more from doing that than anyone ever could have given me if they'd have sentenced me to something. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And I'm, time's getting away from me, and there are so many things I want to share. The miracles of recovery. I sometimes like to go through the steps when I share my lead. That's all I know how to do it. See, that is my story. That's how I got here. That's how I live my life. You know, coming up here, we talked about how I wasn't practicing these principles in all my affairs, and it only takes me a minute to realize whose message I'm carrying. You know, it certainly isn't God's. It's mine, and it isn't AA's when I'm into self-centered ego and false pride. And then I have to remember that, you know, maybe I didn't, ask only for the knowledge of his will today, that maybe I ask for a lot more, and that I have to get back to allowing him to have the power in my life, and that maybe I didn't do a very good thorough inventory last night when I closed my eyes, and did I say thank you, because that's the simple thing my sponsor taught me. And then I have to remember that I probably owe somebody an amends, and I better take and make a list, figure out where it comes from and who it is, and then I'm probably going to have to sit down and take a look at whether I'm very humble, because that humility is a real bitch for me. And then I have to take a look at what character defect got out of the way that caused me to do this in the first place. Now I'm back to making a fifth step, which, you know, I always have to call my sponsor at this point because now I need help. I have to figure this out because I haven't been able to do it on my own. I never have. And then I'm reminded that just by taking a look at it and being honest and open that I probably made a decision and that that decision will take me back to the sanity, which I was allowed to get the minute I was able to admit how powerless I was and how unmanageable my life is. And then I'm reminded of what a beautiful program we have, that on a day-to-day basis, one day at a time, I can start over anywhere, anytime, any day, any way. And I don't have to pick up to do that, and I don't have to be a fool to do that, and I don't have to act out to do it. I may be a fool today, but I'm a sober one. And I may be nuts today, but I'm screwed on the right bolt. (laughs) And, you know, the other thing, God sent me along the way. You know how you get well, and we were laughing earlier. young woman was identifying a young specimen, a male, um, I'm sure it was recovery. I'm sure it was his his recovery she was noticing. But 
anyway, we had a little conversation just before we started the meeting, and you know, I had that problem. I kept noticing the young men's recovery, and I kept thinking that I was getting so much better. It'd be nice if God had sent me one of those, and I have to tell you the kind of humor my God has. He sent me a Pollock. <laughs> and he sent me a Pollock that was not just one of your run-of-the-mill, you know, pop-in, oh, I'm grateful to be sober, guys. He was one of those retreads. You know, that been around and around and around. And um, everybody said we wouldn't stay sober, and they bet us that we would never do it together. And then my sponsor taught us, by the way, isn't it interesting, it's also his sponsor, taught us about using the principles and the tools of this program in a relationship as well as in our own recovery. And in November we'll be celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. On, uh, yeah, you betcha. It was a package deal. He came with twin sons, our sobriety babies, and um, that's one of the sons I was so worried about yesterday. (laughs) Um, They've probably been to more meetings than most of you, by the way, because we took them with us. We believe it's a family disease, and we believe that it's family recovery, and they've been, they used to go to our club and sweep floors and empty ashtrays, and they'd love it when somebody would shoot them a quart or something, you know. And um, one day, someone said to our oldest, which is five minutes, by the way, older than the other, and he said, uh, something about uh, meetings and he said you go to meetings and he said yeah and he said are you an alcoholic and he said well I probably will be (laughs) and uh, he said I believe in an ounce of prevention and it was (laughs) you know it's really cute listening to him because he really does understand and on the phone when he's with his friends I get a lump in my throat at times when I hear him talk about the principles of this program to his friends and one night he had a young man over and it was midnight and I said don't you think it's a little late to be inviting people to spend the night he said his mother's drunk mom and that was all it took you know he knows that it's a safe place he left one environment that he felt unhealthy it was unhealthy because people were in it drinking and he didn't want to be there he can make choices in his life today the three children that were taken from me are in my life today I'm a grandmother four times I was at each of their baptisms and at their birth. My oldest son is in um, a program of, for out, adult children of alcoholics and doing um, well with that 12-step program. My grandchild was born, and with, I get a phone call, and he said, your granddaughter wants to say hello to you, and I'm all excited. And I said, well, when was she born? He said, five minutes ago. <laughs> I mean, this was a birthing room, and they had me a part of that. I guess what I'm trying to share with you is there was a time in my life when I didn't believe I'd be a part of anything. My my next oldest son celebrated his fifth sobriety birthday in Saudi Arabia during our conflict, and he wrote me a letter, and he said, Don't need to worry about me relapsing here, Mom. They shoot your ass. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was great. We were sent from our hometown to where we live now. I'm going to run over a minute, but I have to tell you this. And we didn't know a soul. It was like our umbilical cord was cut. My spouse and I, you know, became our support. And it was very trying time and very special because we began to reach out again to people. Because you've been around a while doesn't mean we don't need you. I need you more today than I ever did. I need you to remind me that I'm not special, unique. All those things that I think I can get into once in a while. I need to remind myself that if my hair is screwed up and I want to wear a beanie, it's okay today. You'll love me for it. You know, I have trouble remembering those things. But I've had a lot of illness in my recovery. You know, I have to move this, by the way. I'm sorry. See, I did some time over those babies. (laughs) I still get a little itchy seeing blank checks sitting around me. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I've been watching them throughout the thing. It's like, oh, thank you, God, I don't have to do that today. (laughs) Anyway, 
I guess what I'm trying to tell you in a nutshell, and I don't want to be melodramatic here, I just want to be real honest. If you don't take a drink or a drug today, you can be anything you want to be. You can go anywhere you want to go. You can live any way you want to live. My sponsor told me that when I first came around and I thought he was lying to me. But I'd like to tell you that my children are back in my life. My father's sober today. By the grace of God and AA, I carried a resentment for all my life. And over the last couple of months, I've been able to forgive him. Um, not just by my words, because I've done that. I did my amends. I went back home and we talked about it, but I couldn't forgive him in here. And that made a big difference for me. But recently, I've been able to do that by the grace of God and the, and the help of a young person who asked me to sponsor them. Um, people ask me that all the time, and I tell them, that's fine if you, if you can be there for me, too, because that's the way it works. And believe me, it has worked that way. I've had cancer. I'm a survivor of cancer three times. The most recent put me in the hospital two years ago. My sponsor handed me my 15th year token 20 minutes before I went into surgery and said, I thought you might want this. <laughs> and um, I asked the doctor if he could tape it to me. <laughs> and they said, no, I couldn't have it in the operating room, but I knew I had what I needed there. I had a power greater than myself, and I didn't have to have him taped to me. I also had survived a major depression a couple of years ago. I had an auto accident. That's part of this hospitalization. And I was ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated about that until one of the young people that I had sponsored came to my home and spent hours with me, talking to me, being there, taking me to the hospital, taking care of my family, doing things for me and said, let me do this because this is what you did for me. They've helped me more than I'll ever help them. I'm wearing precious gems today. Part of the sobriety fund my sponsor taught me about so many 24 hours ago. We were able to pay for a cruise for my son on graduation when he graduated from medical school to go to take his wife for the support she'd given him while he was going through med school. These kids never ask us for a dime. You know, our sponsor taught us in the traditions about being self-supporting. And he said, it works for our group, it'll work for you. Today I have a job. I can hold down a job. I haven't missed a day's work in eight months. That's a miracle. Because I, I miss a lot of work because of my illness. But God has seen fit to put me someplace today where I'm okay. I was concerned about whether I could finish talking today because I still have striations in my throat and I've been having some trouble lately and I'm going to be getting it checked out in a little while. But you know, I always get what I need when I need it and God has never let me down about putting in my mouth what somebody else may need to hear. I don't propose to think I have anything to say that's special. I have one message and that is that anything is possible in these rooms. And if you can just hang in there one day at a time and allow it to work and work hard at it. I'm not proposing it's simple. It's not. It's not. It's hard work. And it was because it was so different. You see, I had to do all the uncomfortable until it became comfortable. And then I went on to the next uncomfortable. But there's something I want to share. Some of you know I usually, uh, I have a poem I've been carrying around for um, over 20 years. When I was in that institution that they put me in, some poor old wino <laughs> with, um, you know, he went out to lunch um, mentally. He was running around the unit handing out these things, and he handed me one that was uh, called The Miracle of AA. It's on my other tape, I guess. If you want to hear it, you'll have to get my other tape. Anyway, um, I can't, I've lost it. <laughs> I went frantically hunting through the house, and my husband came in and put his arm around me and said, Honey, you don't need it. So before the meeting, I asked Tony if I could borrow his big book, and as usual, you get what you need. But um, if I can find this. In closing, this is what I'd like to share. The great experience for me was release. 
released me from the bondage of hatred and self and replaced it with a love that is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous. Everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find it was just exactly what I wanted all the time. Thank you.